Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Eloise Clark, and you are listening to the Untick the Box podcast, the show that aims to shine a light on underrepresented voices across industries and offer honest career advice to those wishing to join them. Like what you hear? Make sure to subscribe. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. I am delighted to welcome Shiraz Gilsha to the podcast today. He is an incredible communicator with almost a decade of experience in the communications industry. He's worked for big name brands like Nintendo, American Express and Snapchat before moving in-house last year to Snap Incorporated, the parent company of Snapchat. He's received numerous accolades for his work, including PR Week 30 Under 30 in 2020, Young Professional of the Year in 2020, Industry Trailblazer in 2021, and most recently appearing in the PR Week Power Book 2022. As well as all that, he is the co-founder of the organisation People Like Us, which was set up to help make the communications and media industries more inclusive. Shiraz, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Eloise. Please, pleasure to be here. You're welcome. So I guess, obviously, there's so much that we could talk about there. I've got an impressive career highlights already. But I'd kind of like to start with where it began. So have you always wanted to have a career in communications? Is it something that you knew you wanted to do from a young age? Or were there certain steps or events in your life that kind of led to where you are today? I suppose it's like most people after I graduated, I had absolutely zero idea what to do next. Um, and actually, uh, I started off as a, as a teacher. I, um, since I graduated, I, I jetted off to China. I lived there for around six months, uh, and I taught English. Um, I traveled pretty much the entire country. When I got back, and I was sort of stuck. Um, I thought, what now? Um, do, do I actually want to be a teacher, or like, where, where the hell do I go from here? Um, but my, my brother had been in comms for, for so long. He, um, he lived in Australia for about a decade. Um, and he looked after, at the time, um, MySpace when that was a thing. So that shows you his age. Um, <laughs> so yes, yeah, so he looked after comms across Fox. Um, and yeah, he had a really, really cool job. And I had the sort of privilege to go and visit him um, one summer. And I was just sort of blown away. Um, so yeah, so I got back and I was kind of stuck at the time. There wasn't much, wasn't much jobs going. And um, I was sort of doing everything to get by. I was a, I was a waiter for a bit. Um, and then I worked at a... A warehouse for Superdrug, uh, which is a painfully awful job where you essentially pick and pack boxes all day. Um, so I never want to see a lipstick again in my life. <laughs> but I, I remember sort of being there and packing boxes. I was like, I've got a degree. Um, I, I thought I was doing quite well. Teachers, mm. my lecturers said I was quite bright. I was like, man, this is what I'm doing. There's obviously nothing wrong with that, but that's just how I felt at the time. And then it took my brother persuading me for Asia, saying, actually, have you thought about doing comms? I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, so in the midst of this, I was, I was teaching, I was supply teaching, and I actually loved working with the kids. Um, and uh, they, were, they were awesome. And um, I worked at some, a couple of like really rough schools in Luton um, where there was a lot of behavioral issues and um, yeah, all kinds of stuff going on. But you know, I really enjoyed it. And one day, you know, I thought, let me throw my hat in the ring and see what happens. And I wrote to, I've lost count, how many PR agencies at the time. I said, look, like, I'd love to work with you. Please just give me a shot. Here's a little bit about me. And to be honest, almost all of them ignored me. Um, and one of them kind of took a bit of a gamble on me. Um, they were called 1238. Um, I think they're now called Houston PR. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave me a shot. And, uh, and it kind of went from there, really. So they gave me a 
two, three month internship. Um, and there was a lad there who really just, I, I feel like often back then when you're an intern, you often weren't doing like meaningful or useful tasks. You were kind of running around doing like coverage books and monitoring media. It's pretty dull. Um, but one lad, he actually sort of really took his time and showed me the ropes on social. He taught me how to use um, Hootsuite, TweetDeck and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. It was awesome. Um, and, and yeah, from, from there onwards, um, I, uh, a friend of mine mentioned the Taylor Bennett Foundation. Um, mm. I applied and, uh, and yeah, it was honestly one of the best experiences I've had. It's such a thorough training into the world of comms. Because I think you go in, like, you have some idea of what PR is, but unless you like, do it or like, learn the theory, it's quite hard to really get your head around what it is. Um, and yeah, the, the, the foundation was outstanding. Um, God, I would have been there 2014, I think. Um, and uh, yeah, it was great. And, I, and I'm still in touch with, with quite a few people from there. Um, and then it kind of just rolled from there, really. So a bit of an unusual start to my career, but it was, a, it was fun and eventful. I love that. I mean, to be honest, I speak to people around the PR industry a lot and, and it's similar stories. It's kind of you fall into it. It's not something that we're really taught about in school. So it's definitely, I think that's one of the, we'll touch on it in a, in, a, in a while, but in terms of making the industry more inclusive, that's maybe one area that needs to be kind of improved in terms of getting out to, to schools and speaking to younger people um, to, to let them know that it's actually an option out there. A hundred percent. I think um, for a lot of people I speak to this day, um, and actually somebody presented this at our last event, it can be a barrier, one of many barriers to this, industries mm. are actually low levels of understanding in black asian mixed race communities of what comms is and what purpose it serves um and it's quite hard even my mum to this day probably doesn't know why i really do i think she thinks i'm a journalist i was just like sure um so so yeah I, I think a lot of people i talk to like traditional pakistani at least i could speak for like the career routes tend to mm. go down to law or medicine or accounting or business mm. Um, but thankfully, I didn't have those barriers at home. Uh, my parents are very supportive and kind of had trust in us to do what was right for us. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you had a really supportive um, brother as well. He's obviously guided you towards this kind of path as well. How important do you think it is to have a mentor? Do you, th you know, have you always had someone to look up to? Um, would you say that's kind of one thing that could be a barrier for others? If they don't have one? 100%. For me, it was the absolute game changer. Like my, my brother is my, my hero, he's my North Star um, and I've always um, looked to him for, for support and advice. Um, and having a mentor is, I think it's really, really important. Um, it's just someone you could really turn to without fear of judgment and asking anything really, no matter how silly the question. I remember um, I started at a really great agency, one of the ones I worked at, and uh, I was at a really, really simple task of like um, calling trade media and asking about I don't know, a piece of research. And I remember calling my brother, I was like, what's trade media? What do I do? Um, and it's just like having someone in your corner who can really just back you and just, Jimmy, without any fear or worry of judgment. Um, and I'm actually really grateful to have two mentors in my career. And I, I probably think without them, I wouldn't have stuck around. Mm. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about those two mentors? I know you've mentioned your brother, but was there yeah. someone else? My, my brother's definitely one of them. He's been there throughout, and he and I started people like us together. But my other is a, is a colleague of mine, uh, Mike. Um, so he's at Snap, and we met at Hope and Glory 
um, and uh, he and I are sort of thick as thieves. We kind of, um, yeah, we, we had a brilliant relationship actually. Um, and that friendship has helped me grow both professionally and personally. Um, but again, like having that person with you that can have your back um, and treat you as an equal is makes the world a difference. Uh, I'm very confident without either of them, I probably wouldn't have stuck around that long, but it's hugely important to me. And I think that's what we were trying to emulate in people like us is yeah. having someone in your corner that will have your back and so you aren't alone. So I think um, you, you may have heard this before, but commons can be quite a lonely place. Um, when you're the only person that looks like you in most rooms or all rooms, it, it, it can leave you feeling quite isolated. Yeah, well, I actually want to touch on that. Being someone from an ethnic minority, as you've said, your, your Pakistani background, um, how did you find that was getting into this industry? And do you think that it's changed since you've started at all? I think it's definitely changed. Um, there's definitely been big improvements in companies. Um, I think um, perhaps most in light of the, the murder of George Floyd has really um, looked inwardly and think, this isn't right. There is there is huge systemic issues, and are we is there bias here? Um, I mean, I mean, speaking from personal experiences, I, like there there are lots of things I look back on and probably try to just forget about. Um, there's like when you are the other all the time. I think sometimes it could be perceived as quite lighthearted or as a joke. Um, but man, I, I think the story I, I, I tell people actually is um, I was at an agency years ago. Um, and it, it was just the most awful, like stars aligning moment in a bad way. Um, I think there was a, a time there were quite a lot of uh, terror attacks in London in terms of, um, yeah, like awful people doing horrible things. And um, and someone would say, oh, yeah, it's one of your lot or whatever. Oh, my um, God. And uh, it's obviously like not something you want to hear. But actually, in fact, one day somebody said it to me. And uh, I went to pick up the Evening Standard, um, I think either to, yeah, well, just to read it or grab a piece of coverage or whatever. And bizarrely, the person on the front page that had carried out or tried to carry out an attack was an old classmate of mine um, oh, wow. I went to school with um, in Luton. <clears throat> so this is a guy I used to play football with. Um, I remember him as a pretty normal teenager, really, um, chasing girls, like drinking and having fun and being pretty happy-go-lucky. And I thought... Jesus, like, it's been how many years since I've heard or seen this person? And the first time I've seen him is on the front page of the Evening Standard um, with, um, yeah, uh, a, a posh white colleague saying, oh, yeah, it's one of your lot. And I was like, in fact, it is, I guess. <laughs> so it was a really bizarre feeling. Mm -hmm. I think um, I, I think um, even looking at post George Floyd, people talk a lot about microaggressions and mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. I think it, after years, it kind of really hit home um, that this was happening. But I, I am confident, and from the conversations I've had with people in our network and agencies, that culture is definitely improving. Yeah. I think people are suddenly waking up um, from a deep and horrible slumber and of, yeah, it's about time, huh? Yeah, exactly. Definitely about time. I'd love to just understand a bit more about why you've kind of created people like us I mean obviously from those personal experiences that you've just explained there's a clear need for it um, and even without those experiences you know it's no secret that 
loads of industries have a diversity problem, if not all of them. Um, so I guess what inspired you to actually take the leap and create that? And I know you created that with your brother. Um, so yeah, kind of what inspired you? What led you to actually get there? Um, so at, at the time, actually, um, on paper, everything was, was kind of going pretty well. I think my, my job was mm-hmm. kind of flying and um, career-wise and friends-wise, everything was good. But I just felt really dissatisfied with just the way things were going in the industry and um, mm-hmm. what was around me at the time that I knew of. Um, I found um, agencies I worked with in the past would, would sort of struggle or avoid conversations around inclusivity um, or just flat out ignore me. Um, so I thought, you know, we're literally on the train. My brother and I were staying at my mum's in Luton one, one weekend on the train back to London. It was just, I just went on this huge rant. I was like, you know what? I'm sick of the industry. I'm bored of all the old white folks telling us what to do about being more inclusive. Mm. And I'm just bored of everything around us. All the events that happen are either super inaccessible, make people feel very guilty and and it's, yeah, it's just not helpful to anyone. I was like, I've been thinking about it for a while, Let, let's do something. And he's like, I've been thinking about this too. So, and I said, look, no matter what we do, the, the main element we have to remember, it has to be fun. Um, so we sort of went away and sort of came back together and we thought, you know what, we came up with this concept of doing a celebration of talent. So we know there's mm-hmm. um, a lot of horror stories, like we've all been through it. Um, but I said, look, let's let's turn it on its head and say, you know, let's make this fun. And we also think at the time with things like um, TikTok just like blowing up and on Snap mm. and everything else, everything was so short form. We thought, you know, what, our concept was that, that we ended up landing on. So look, let's celebrate 10 awesome people, but let's give them a really short, tight brief. So let's say they have to present something they're really proud about. They have to do it in three minutes. So you get a real medley of talent and people from all walks of like comms and journalism to tell their story, really. So it's not like a sales pitch, but it's like I, I did this project and it was deeply personal and important to me. And here was the cool results. Um, and the people we've um, managed to work with are really, really lucky to work with. really range from like investigative journalists, um, from like The Independent, um, someone from Lab Bible, um, like Sky News, to like huge brands like Adobe, um and yeah like it's been great and i think um keeping it positive and lighthearted, um and obviously we understand like deep rooted there are issues that have to be addressed but we think we can have fun and also address it right so and that's where we're at i think that's perhaps why people keep coming back and want to get involved and want to volunteer um so yeah it's a formula uh, i strive to to sort of stick to really yeah, I mean, when I was kind of looking into people like us, it's definitely something that stands out. I think for that point, it's like you're celebrating the positivity, you're celebrating the fun. And I think there's maybe not enough of that, um, especially as as you say, we want to tackle the issues. So people kind of go head up first into what's the problem? How do we solve it? But actually, it's, you know, give people the room to express themselves. As you said, if they've not had, if they've not felt like they've been, um, they've felt like the other always in kind of certain rooms in the past. It's nice to feel like they've got their peers around them. So I really admire what you're doing. So, so thank you so much for, for setting that up. And I do intend on uh, attending a meeting soon. <laughs> I would love to be there. <laughs> well, we're actually back on the 7th of July. Um, so yeah, please swing by. I think anyone listening, like our door is open to absolutely everyone. 
Um, mm -hmm. So whilst the speaker slots are for people from racially diverse backgrounds, the audience can be absolutely everyone. We, we welcome everyone and we love seeing such a breadth of people there. So whether you're a brand, uh, an agency side, journalist, or even just curious about comms, like our door is always open. Amazing, thank you. So I guess looking for others that are trying to get into the industry, I wonder if you've got any advice or top tips for someone, especially someone of your background, of kind of what they would, what to do to get to where you are. So there are some brilliant um, schemes for those uh, starting out. Um, everyone will be familiar with the Taylor Bennett Foundation, um, yeah. which I can attest to, which is a phenomenal way to start your career. It's such a well-rounded um, training scheme. It's very intense, but in a good way. So you learn a hell of a lot, meet so many great people and connect with that it's just, I couldn't recommend it more. And similarly, there's a, a, a grad scheme called the Brixton Finishing School, um, and there, I've, I've actually, um, which is quite a similar kind of sketch to Taylor Bennett, but it's more like wider creative industries, whereas Taylor Bennett's around comms. Um, and the caliber of talent I've met through there is top notch. Um, so I think those are good places to start. I think in terms of landing your first gig, I, I always say that's probably the trickiest one to land. But I think um, li like any job, really, like before you apply, rather than doing a big scattergun approach where you send your CV to like, hundreds of people, I would just take a breath and think, oh, actually, what do I want to do? What is interesting to me? I think when I started in comms, I didn't realize, oh, actually, you can work on whatever it is you're interested in. Um, it took me about four or five years to realize, oh, actually, I can do comms for video games and technology. That's where my passion is. Um, and I think like realizing that really, I don't know, opens a lot of doors for you. Then you can really channel down your search and I always recommend people when they're starting out is um, just do a bit of research into the company you're, you're looking at and interested in, whether it's a brand themselves or an agency. Just look at their Twitter or their Instagram because everyone loves shouting about their recent work. Um, and always um, the tip that's always worked for me is once you've looked at their Twitter or whatever, just do a really short cover note to them. Um, it could be a really quick email that says, hey, um, I've seen... Um, I've seen your agency, I've, um, I've seen you recently won these accolades, like huge congrats. Um, I loved your work on this client, um, I, I don't know, let's say Pokemon, I really enjoyed the way you did X, Y, Z, um, love to meet you for a coffee. And I think that shows hiring managers that this person has done their homework and um, genuinely wants to work there. So I always say like follow up, if you can get face to face or a call with them, whatever you're comfortable with, um, get that in. But I think mass sending emails those days are probably probably done. There's so many places to look, like LinkedIn is great. Um, mm. And obviously if anyone's out there needs support, they can get in touch with us. It's a completely free service. If they need someone to look over their CV, cover letter or do interview prep, um, they can always get in touch with us. Um, so there's lots of ways in, but often it is about knowing the right person or being in the right place at the right time. Um, and we can help you do that. Amazing, thank you. It's funny you mentioned the kind of uh, going through Twitter. Well, not funny, but as in, I don't think people realise sometimes in the comms industry that there's a lot of stalking <laughs> you have to do. If it's about getting a journalist, trying to understand what they like and the and really doing your research and getting into their heads a little bit. Um, because that just, as you say, those mass emails have kind of gone away, haven't they? And, and even if it's a case of trying to get a new job, just having that personal touch and mentioning something, if you, you know, if they've mentioned an interest on 
on Twitter, their favorite football team, whatever it is. <laughs> um, it's it's a definitely a good a good advice there. So, thanks for sharing that. I guess some another question I'd say more for kind of your younger self. I guess what's one thing you wish you'd known before you started out in a, a career in communication? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> I think. Um, I think initially, um, even sometimes I'm guilty of doing it now, it's just getting so close and so attached to things. Um, like, uh, yeah, almost almost caring too much. I think our jobs are, are great and they give us a lot of value in our, in our lives and day to day. But I, I would say sometimes it is fine to just take a step back and take a breather. I think I, I would get so obsessed with uh, campaigns. Um, I've worked in quite a lot of competitive agencies where whilst it's a really friendly and like growing environment, I think it's more pressure I put on myself. So I, I would, the advice I'd give my younger self is just take it easy on yourself and uh, just take a bit because it, it always works out in the end. So there's no need to sort of put yourself through so much pressure and stress. I think that's advice I could take as well. <laughs> but it's true. I think it, yeah, that's, that's a great piece. So then I guess moving more maybe future gazing, what do you think could be make the biggest difference for people of colour or people of ethnic minority backgrounds um, in the communications industry? What do you think more maybe needs to change? I think the biggest challenge is, uh, well, people like us face is, um, is I, I suppose there's a couple of things. So the first is salary. So there's, um, at the moment, a fairly lack of transparency on how people are paid um, in organisations because there is no law that requires companies to share their um, ethnicity pay gap data. So I think that's one. The second is probably um, leadership representation. I think it's um, it's crazy if you don't see someone that looks like you that's on a board or a senior director, it's really hard um, to like imagine yourself in that position. Um, I'm really lucky I have my brother who's absolutely flying at LinkedIn and he loves his job and he's great. But for a lot of people, if they're not seeing that, it's quite hard to see yourself being that. Um, so I suppose ways to tackle that, um, you may have seen a piece of work we did with PR Week last year, all around the pay gap in the commerce industry. Um, so we looked at pay gaps by um, gender and ethnicity. Um, and uh, we'd obviously love to extend it to look at other groups, for example, the LGBT community, um, people with disabilities, people with, um, do you know what I mean? It, it, it can go on. Um, and I think from that study, because it was the first year, I think a lot, lot of people were tentative and not perhaps like so forthcoming or willing to enter. Because it is, I mean, I get it, it is slightly scary territory. You're basically broadcasting that there is bias in your organization. But I think having that transparency is the only way you really get to make change. I think unless you know the scale of your issue, I don't know how on earth you're going to solve it. But we're, we'll be back again for the next round of the pay gap study in June. Um, and uh, we'd love to see more, more agencies enter this year because it will only benefit everyone. And it's just good for business. Like if you've got a really diverse team that's really happy, they know they're being paid like equally, then it's great. And it's a really simple exercise, to be honest. Like the form, all it does is ask the average pay by each level. For instance, from account executive, account manager, account director, right through to the board. And you can really quickly establish with our form, so it'll ask you average salary of all staff at each of these levels. 
average start, uh, salary at women at each of these levels, for BME staff at all these levels, and so on and so forth. And really quickly, in a one half side of a table, you realize, oh shit, there is a bit of a disparity. Are we like, and you know what I mean? It may be unintentional, but it's just like, I'm actually, are we paying women in the company at account manager less or um, whatever? Like, but you have that data. It's a really simple exercise because all accounts payable, HR, payroll team have that data about the company. So, yeah. So I, I think it's a worthwhile exercise and we really hope more agencies enter. And actually our grand ambition is what, what we are campaigning hard for is the government to introduce um, legislation around race pay gap reporting, just like there is gender pay gap reporting, um, rightfully so. Um, and we feel uh, the, the law was sort of rebuffed a few times recently by the government. And they said, oh, actually, we don't want to add um, extra layer of admin for, for businesses post pandemic, which it's complete bullshit. Like they have this data, um, they should do it. Because yeah. I mean, th that's the only way really you're gonna foster a fairer society is if you know people are being mm -hmm. paid equally. Um, so yeah, so I think those two things are, are super important to really build equality into the comms industry. Yeah, I completely agree. And transparency is a huge one. And yeah, I mean, the, that legislation for the race pay gap fully support that. I think it's incredibly important and hopefully something we'll see change soon. Um, so I guess we'll finish on a kind of some high. What have been your career highlights to date? Oh, um, I think I think the pay gap study for me um, was it was a really big big moment. I think um, I actually got in touch with um, folks at PR Week. I know John is really really good man, um, and I kind of just again I don't know why all all, all things start with a ranch, but I, I got in touch. <laughs> Um, actually, about the top 150 they do, which is a really brilliant and comprehensive list. And I thought, actually, could you incorporate this into your top 150 study? And then he thought, you know what? I think this deserves a lot, like a lot of importance in itself. So let, let's create uh, an independent, um, like, I suppose, moment for it. And then, yeah, so we kind of landed that. So that was definitely one of them. Um, Actually, another personal highlight was um, we, we did a campaign with Snap um, all around um, hidden black stories. So um, so we, we had a, an insight. It was towards the end of um, 2019. We, we, we had an idea around International Women's Day. Where we thought, you know what, what would be really cool? Let's celebrate lesser known um, female heroes. Um, and uh, in sort of statue form, we thought that could be a really nice idea. A bit of time went on, and um, and then the murder of George Floyd happened, and um, and yeah, we thought, you know what, like we reflected and we thought, you know what, how can we be additive to this? And at the time, um, I was in the agency side, and we had an idea. So actually, um, and as you know, there was a huge debate around statues at the time in the UK that pretty much you'd walk past these problematic statues of slave owners every day. You'd have no idea who they were, what they did, and it turns out so many prominent ones were those slave owners who, who did horrendous things. Um, and then the initial idea actually was, what if we use a snap camera um, to to give context of statues that you walk past, um, so whether and it gives you the background, so we can help educate Snapchatters. Then we kind of thought a bit more, and actually, you know what? How can we turn this into something celebratory? Um, and initially, we um, we worked with a huge amount of um, charity partners like Kick It Out, Black History Walks, the Black Cultural Archives, and many, many more. 
Um, and the first idea we had is actually let's create digital statues of um, black British footballers um, in the run-up to the Euros. And we thought it'd be a really nice um, celebration of them so people can learn more about them. So we chose two men, two women, and uh, and yeah, and essentially Snapchatters could um, put these digital statues um, and learn about them. Um, Rachel Yankee, Eartha Pond, John Barnes, and Vin Richards, um, obviously all four icons. Um, and that was off the back of research that said of over 200 plus statues of footballers in the UK, only five depicted black players, um, which is the most ridiculous thing ever because one third of the Premier League, the greatest league in the world, are players from black backgrounds. And which um, is just out, I don't know, I'm just lost for words. And then mm. did that and it all went great. Um, and, uh, and it was really highly celebrated. But then for the next sort of iteration of it, we use the Snap sort of, um, I suppose, latest tech in terms of like using AR. Mm. And then we, we came up with this concept of turning Trafalgar Square into a, a sort of interactive um, black history walk. Because there's so much history there that people don't know about and you walk past it every day. Yeah. Essentially what happens is when you use your camera, um, Snap camera, you walk around Trafalgar Square and you'll see different bits of history. You'll see the point where Nelson Mandela delivered his very famous make poverty history speech. Um, so you can see his statue appear mm. and you can actually hear um, a segment of his speech. You can see um, black artists um, who he uh, looked out for and paid to display their work um, digitally in AR on top of the, um, yeah, the, the gallery. Um, we uh, found out from the folks at um, Black Cultural Archives, or actually there was a really interesting story of two boxers that fought for their freedom um, and uh, and we sort of yeah paid homage to them and they, they fought for their freedom at really close by to Trafalgar Square and they were incredible fighters um, and then yeah there was just so much stunning history there and actually the the, the most incredible thing was um, we we worked with um, the Mandela family who flew down um, so we it was with um, Nelson Mandela's granddaughter Taquinie who's probably my favorite person in the world um, so I got to spend a few days with her and. Um, and yeah, actually seeing her actually look at her grandfather in AR, she mm -hmm. was actually pretty blown away. Um, and yeah, the campaign was was really important to help educate, drive uh, traffic towards um, the Black Cultural Archives and all the hugely important work they do. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that's an absolute highlight for me personally. Yeah, that campaign was amazing. I actually saw coverage of that in The Guardian. It's such a great initiative and, and I think that education piece is something that has definitely been highlighted in the last couple of years it's just that the lack of it in schools of, of black history or, or history of um, ethnic minority backgrounds compared to the other histories that, we, that we're told so and taught um, so yeah I can, that, that was an amazing campaign so before we kind of end uh, I just wanted to know maybe a little bit of a fun question if you could have one superpower, what would it be? And then finally, what would you like your legacy to be? Ooh, superpower <laughs> question, good one. Um, oh, you know what? Have you ever seen that film Jumper? Oh, yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> yeah, he's like in the Sphinx one minute, he's in um, like the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. I, I would do Jumper. Because often, like, do you ever been like somewhere like, I don't know, like, if you're on a lengthy train journey or on a night out, you're like, I wish I was in bed right now. <laughs> yeah, 100%. If I was jumper, I would be in bed and I'd be like, great. 
I don't commute, I don't need to do anything, blah, blah, blah. So maybe that's just a car. Yeah, um, I can relate. <laughs> legacy, that's, a, that's a, an interesting question. I, I think um, we're, we're hopefully the work we're doing can help mm. um, towards um, people just feeling like they belong somewhere and people feel like they're valued and paid fairly. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I suppose like creating that sense of family is the most important thing. I think that it's generally so touching when people come to our events, they say, oh, actually, like even the name people like us means a lot to me. And they look around, they say, oh, actually, I've never met like comms or journalist people that look like me. And mm. um, it, it gets pretty emotional, actually. It's always obviously good vibes and positive energy in the room. But it's really sweet hearing that um, afterwards. So I think the legacy would be, yeah, to create create a place of belonging for everyone. And maybe who knows, one day we'll branch people like us out to other industries and other countries. Um, we've had people tap us up from the US, Australia, Germany. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I'm always willing to just hand over my tools and say, look, here you go. Here's how you do it. Here's a playbook. You go for it. I'm not, I'm not really precious about that. <laughs> So maybe it'll be like a bike club where you see people like us appearing everywhere and people doing their own meets. <clears throat> and it'll be like a people like us for accounting or, I don't know, engineering or whatever. Like, like mm -hmm. we go for it. So yeah, maybe, maybe that. I love that. First rule of uh, people like us, you can't talk about it. <laughs> No, we want to talk about it. It's obviously an amazing organization. So um, I just want to give you the opportunity if there's anything else you'd like to add here. Uh, all good. And I was just going to say thank you for having me. I've really, really enjoyed speaking with you. And then for anyone out there that's listening um, and who may need um, some support or want to be connected with some really fun and cool people, um, please, please hit us up. Um, our next event is on the 7th of July. Um, it's free to attend. There's lots of food, lots of drinks. Um, if you want your um, headshot to be refreshed for LinkedIn, pop by. We've got some great photographers. Um, and yeah, I can't wait to see you all. Amazing. Thank you so much, Shiraz. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. That's it. That's the show. If you're still listening, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it and found something useful that can help you on your career journey. We appreciate any feedback or thoughts you might have. So if you want to get in touch, please email us on untickthebox at milkandhoneypr.com or reach out via any of Milk and Honey's social media channels. See you next time on Untick the Box.